Welcome to Series 2 of the Big Beatles Sorthouse. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles' core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In Series 2, we are looking at a selection of unreleased songs and alternative versions that appeared in the anthology, songs they wrote for other artists, and more. So join us as we continue to sort out the Beatles. Welcome to Episode 46, a.k.a. Series 2.3, and welcome to Paul, you ever wanted to know about the Beatles, Abbott. Hello, Paul. Oh, you've brought back the the jokes. Kind of, without the Beatles titles. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. And you know what, Paul? You know what I haven't done for two episodes? What's that? I haven't said the usual, don't forget to follow us, at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, yeah. Or to email us if you want to keep in touch at bigbeetlesorthout at gmail.com. And to ask you, Paul, if there's anything you want to um, flag to our listeners for them to listen to or go and look look out for. Uh, nothing particularly for me at the moment, you know, other than this, really. However, I am sat here and uh, I have got it in my right hand, just because it was here from uh, my doing a little podcast appearance with someone else, uh, Ben Baker's Christmas Box. So as a very okay. good friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, who's mm-hmm. a very good podcaster and writer called Ben Baker. And he's had a new Christmas book out. This is his third book about Christmas pop culture stuff, so TV uh, over the years and it's ben baker's christmas box 40 years of the best worst and weirdest christmas tv ever so if you're interested in that sort of thing you should look it up because ben's books are really really good and they're all done independently and published independently mm. and this is his newest one i just happen to have to hand and i know it has beatles things in it um and in fact he's he's signed mine and drawn a little picture of robo ringo <laughs> so it says books i bloody love them Robo Ringo says. So yep. there you go. So that's my plug is for Ben Baker's Christmas box book and all his other books. Good yeah. good presents, these. They are good presents, yes, yes. I have at least one. No, I have two on my shelves. And um, I'm sure a third will be coming soon. Um, so, yeah, uh, going for that, always good. Um, yeah, um, as for me, I am back releasing music. Not that I ever stopped, but this time I'm doing it under my own name rather than a sci-fi punk band pseudonym um i usually put spotify or youtube links in the podcast description for my latest tracks but if you just look for gary abbott music on the internet you should trip over something i've done at some point and it'd be great if you'd have a listen um and i think that's it for for me i second paul's recommendation about ben's books and now oh yes there was one last thing as well you know, please do let other people know about us. Whether you have five followers or 50,000 followers, a little retweet can go a very long way. Yes, so definitely. That's kind all. of rating and a review. Yes, yes, rating, review, all that stuff that I completely forgot to mention anything about in the last two episodes. But I'm kind of presuming you have, no one will have started this two episodes into, you know, well, into series two. But anyway. You, well, you never know. You never know. They may have done. If so, hello. Um this I will say, Gary, oh, before we get going any further, because today is the 29th of November, which will, you know, I'll do my Beatles Day in a bit. Mm. Um, people listening to this will probably just not hear a word we're saying because they'll have been in a daze because they'll have spent all weekend watching the Beatles get back on <gasps> Disney Plus, <gasps> as will you and I have oh. been, will do, yeah, are no, having I, done. I got excited then thinking, oh, it's out in the future when this has gone out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so we understand if you all feel that you need to listen to this again once the excitement's died down over mm. um, over Peter Jackson's new Get Back film. And I, I, you know, 
and we'll be able to talk about it properly at yeah. some point on the Twitter and and um, we'll I'm sure we'll mention some, it once. Some way to 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 have a conversation about it that makes sense within the, yeah. the framework of our little corner of the Beatles, yeah, um, conversation. But I mean, are you trying to say, Paul, that people would rather watch six hours of beautifully restored footage of Let It Be than listen to us that week and maybe we <laughs> we might be just a bit, a bit too much Beatles icing on the cake. I think, yeah. 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 Now I could completely understand as well if you want to free your schedule um, to rewatch them all again. Yeah. I'd be interesting. I, I'm, you know, we'll have a think about all of the um, films, hopefully at some point and how we can approach them. But this is slightly different. It's a bit of an event. So we'll, 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 we'll think of something to. It's nice that there's, new and i'm obviously using air quotes around the word new new beatles stuff happening whilst we're doing this podcast yeah. you know this is as, as much new stuff as you're likely to ever get really i think given all the mm. footage is unseen it, yeah it is it's really exciting um i can't wait i can't wait so back to what we're doing today though we are on the third and final disc of our mini anthology selection chart and before us awaits another five tracks selected by your good self paul so to get us into the mood, can you tell us a little bit about when Anthology 3 came out and the reaction at the time and the kind of what was happening and how it went down? Yeah, so Anthology 3, so it's the third of the double CD sets, uh, double tape, triple LP sets that mm-hmm. comes out. Uh, 28th of October 1996, this comes out. Right. As with the others, it's it does very, very well. It becomes it's a number one in the US albums chart goes triple platinum gets to number four in the UK Uh, none of the anthologies got to the top spot in the UK but they did very well in sales anyway yeah all at least gold sort of records and yeah it was intended I think to have the pattern of the follow at the previous two albums in that it was supposed to have like another new song at the start of it because this notably doesn't yes and that was probably going to have been a song called now and then Mm. which was another 1970s demo from Lennon. And uh, I think they apparently they kicked it about in the studio with Jeff Lynne and, and, the, and the boys, mm. um, tried a sort of day of rehearsal, created a sort of backing track for it, but then gave it up. And um, yeah, George is the one who's commented most on it as calling it um, effing rubbish. Right. So I think the point was basically it was it was the most fragmentary of, of the Lennon ones that they had to, to go on. And it would okay. have taken a bit of a bit more writing from them to to make it into something more usable so but i mean if you go on on youtube you can find loads of people who've mocked up yeah period as in mid 90s period beatles versions of of now and then and you can hear lennon's original sort of demo so you know but that's that gets vetoed in the in the recording process so you don't have a new song on the start of anthology three okay but yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting selection. It obviously covers, basically, Anthology 2 ends with the Beatles going off to India mm. in terms of their career. This starts with them coming back. Yeah. So it's sort of uh, May 1968 right through to the end of their recording career. Yeah. Um, is is what's covered on these two CDs in this in this little set here. Yeah, White Album, Let It Be, Abbey Road. Essentially, yeah. Essentially, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was the thing about it that I think, you know, it's getting into that eclectic period where they're writing so much that the the the, the 
the line between what's on the anthology and what was getting onto things like the White Album is getting a little more blurred because they were, you know, everything's slightly less contrived because they're just trying to get all the output out until it gets back to kind of the Abbey Road and they start to to, to really polish everything up again. But it's a, so it's really interesting to hear even even more on top of what already turned into a double album plus a live album plus and back to a you know really well produced album. It's it's amazing to hear it. One thing I wanted to ask about was about the um, the TV show because the TV show roughly follows the timeline of the songs that are in these. You know when it was on, it was the documentary. Did that just yeah. happen in one big run, or did it happen in series along with the release of the albums? I can't. No, remember. no, it, it was it was week by week. Hmm. Uh, so the albums came out you know, much later than the actual show did. Right. Okay. Uh, but then when yeah, so that if you then went off and bought the big VHS box set of hmm. the anthology series, that was different to what was shown on TV. In that it was like it was almost like a Peter Jackson thing. It was all extended episodes. Okay. Uh, I think did, did it go out that? in three? Did it go out in three parts on ITV? Um, originally, do you know what? I haven't got that written down. It's been so long. I mean, I know obviously what I was doing was um, <laughs> sitting and watching it every every night, recording it, watching it again straight away, mm. watching it again and again and again. But um, the thing that I've watched more than anything else is the DVDs when they finally came out and I finally got the DVD box set because, like I say, it sort of comes out in an ex- expanded eight disc version or whatever it was. Um, with loads and loads of extras. So, no, it's six parts on, on ITV between November and December 95. So, okay, that's, so what it, that's what it was. And then the albums came off the back of it. Great. Okay. I'd, li- I'd like to go and get... I'd need to borrow your extended DVD because I could get my own. Yeah, so get your looking, own. I was looking it up and um, it's not on any streaming, I don't think. No, well, that's an interesting thing. You think with Peter Jackson being brought in for the Let It Be Get Back stuff yeah, and the restoration, you know, the the anthology series you know mid 90s to me feels like yesterday but mm. actually it's not yesterday it's quite a long time ago and that all that stuff which was done on that was all shot on film yeah so that can all be restored and remastered yeah so it it wouldn't surprise me if somewhere along the line they've got up their sleeves that they're going to there's going to be a version made for streaming services oh. and a re-release that would be good that would be good Especially given how much extra stuff there was on the DVD set with the, the yeah, bonuses. That's what's going to, I'm thinking now. Did I only ever watch it first time round? Did I ever watch the extended ones? That's not, I, even if I did, I'd have forgot, I've forgotten. So I may as well get them. So that's something to look yeah. forward to for me. In America, it was a three-parter. That's okay. what I was thinking of. Yeah. So it was done in three parts in America, as opposed to uh, the sort of six parts in the UK. Hmm. Good stuff. Okay, well, let's get on to On This Beatles Day, which, as you said, is the 29th of November, Paul. It is, and I have chosen for this one, uh, 29th of November, 1964, simply because it's where two of my favourite things collide, and that is The Beatles mm-hmm. and Peter Cook and Dudley Moore ah. for co- making their comedy show. In fact, filming the pilot for their comedy show. Mm-hmm. So, like much TV, there's not all, not all of... Not only, but also, this is the name of the TV show we're talking about here, exists anymore. But a fair bit of it does. But you have to buy it on the stuff. <laughs> oh, it's so annoying. You can buy it on an American release DVD to get more material than the one you can buy in the UK. Really annoying. Mm. But Dudley Moore and Peter Cook mm-hmm. are making a TV show. Essentially, it's Dudley Moore's TV show. So it's like not only Dudley Moore, but also 
Peter Cook, name of other guests. But there's such a good combination of, of characters together, Cook yeah. and Moore, that it basically becomes their show together. But on the 29th of November, 1964, John is going to the BBC TV centre to record his in-studio pieces. So he's a guest on the pilot show. Right. And he's doing a lot of his poems, which are sort of acted out, or he's re- either reading them or they're sort of being co-read and acted out as well. Cool. In the studio with people like Norman Rossington, who was obviously in Hard Day's Night, and Dudley Moore. And there's also a film that they'd shot a few weeks before, I think, of um, of a poem called Deaf Ted, Danuta and Me. That's like a, they went out and filmed it on a field somewhere. And it's just John doing this. So it's, yeah. so it's quite different for John to be seen in that context, away from being just the Beatle John. This mm. is author and, and comedy John. Yeah. And he's doing these readings of his stuff from in his ho- in his own right for this pilot episode of Not Only But Also. Uh, apparently he was quite drunk when he did it. So, <laughs> but it's uh, it's great because I love Not Only But Also. It's one of my favourite all-time comedy shows ever. Mm. And yeah, the pilot episode's got John on it doing some of his poems, which is, is great. And apparently, according to the people who know, I internet history Beatles listening sites afterwards he went for a drink with George uh, onto the crazy elephant club where they met a couple of the miracles okay so there you go great stuff. so went and filmed his stuff carried on drinking met the you miracles know, happy, happy little beetle oh I feel like I, I I can picture the clip in my mind of that I must have seen it yeah, so, I didn't see the full-length episode until I got this DVD release of not only, but also from America. Right, okay. Well, that's a good one. So 29th November, John goes and meets Pete and Dud. Fantastic. Yeah. Right, well then, let's get on with the selection from Anthology 3. And first up, we have Junk. Motorcars, handlebars, bicycles for two. Broken hearted you believe Parachute, Tommy Boots, sleeping bag for you Junk, Paul? Well, that's a matter of opinion, isn't it, really, Gary? <laughs> Here. Yeah, so there is um, a couple of places you can hear Paul McCartney doing his song Junk in a Beatles context now. One is this Anthology 3 version, mm. and it's also turned up now in the White Album box set as well, because it's part of the Isha demos. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's, yeah. I've got that. I'm just remembering that, yes. So it's the, um, in the, sort of the last week of May, 1968. They've come back from India. They finally all got back together. They go around to George's bungalow um, in Isha. It's called Kinforns. And... They just because they've got like you said before they've got all these songs, hmm. so they're going to demo them. Yeah, sit around a four-track Am- Ampex tape recorder, I think it is, a four like reel-to-reel thing, hmm. and they just demo I think twenty-seven songs. Wow, which are obviously that White Album Deluxe box set has has got the big chunk of them now. Whereas there was a little sort of selection of them on the Anthology Three, right? Of which one is this song? junk hmm. which i've always had a soft spot for it's just paul doing vocals and guitars a little bit of overdub of both hmm. and it's a song which 
people will eventually hear on the first solo McCartney record, mm-hmm. McCartney, in 1970, as a song in itself and in an instrumental version. But it's such a... I listen to it here and think, would it have fit on the White Album? Would it have fit on Abbey Road? Mm. I'm not convinced it would have done. But it's sort of classic McCartney pick up a guitar, work out a nice chord sequence and then stick a a fab sort of little melody on top of it. Yeah. It's sort of wistful. It's in waltz time as well. And uh, yeah, it's just a funny little piece, Junk. Yeah, I, I love it too. Um, I, I, I really love this. And I, I, the first thought when I, that struck me when I heard, hear it, heard it. And when I, every time I do hear it is why didn't it make, why wouldn't it make it on? And I think it must be to do with sounding, not being consistent with what they will maybe want, you know, out of everything, having a place on the album rather than it being anything to do with whether it was a good song or I think, or whether it was a beatly enough song, I think even yeah. in the white album era. Because I think it's, it's it's fantastic. It's got all the hallmarks of one of his, any of his kind of classics, Yesterday, Blackbird, Mother's Nature's Son, his kind of voiced guitar songs. Um, it, it just feels like it could have been the next one in a way, but maybe they weren't after that at the time. Or Yeah, I wonder group. if it's just the sort of, the lyrics were a bit too odd, maybe. Mm. You know, we're going to talk about some odd lyrics in this episode, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah. I can't quite work out why it doesn't uh, why it doesn't turn into something with the Beatles, except for that. Yeah, it's too McCartney. Yeah. So I mean, musically, you can. I really like being able to hear the McCartney process of trying that vocal overdub to see if he can hit on. You know, partly he's kind of just experimenting with his voice isn't he to see if he can come up with some kind of accompaniment some kind of harmony something that will to kind of get across the idea that there could be something here you know that could do this or this could be a harmony and you can imagine him if they had have done it i know we obviously know what it turned out like on mccartney but it would be of interest to have heard if, if george martin had got who did it for McCartney? It wouldn't have been George Martin, would it? Or? No, no. No, McCartney's self-recorded, so. isn't it, kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Self-produced. It'd be Relief interesting it, to know yeah. if George Martin would have worked with him to turn those hums into accompaniment, as he as he often would. Well, there is actually a string arrangement version of this on an album called Working Classical. Okay. From 1999. It, is that an official release from... It is, yes. He So when Paul was doing a lot of his classical work in the 90s, mm. he did a, a sort of collection of things called Working Classical. Uh, and it was launched on the 16th of October, 1999, with a, a concert at the Liverpool Philharmonic, mm. at which I was at. I remember, I remember. Yeah, so I went to that. I was at university at the time, mm. literally over the road from the Philharmonic where the music department was. And I went to that and I paid to go to the charity reception afterwards, at mm. which McCartney did not turn up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, it was it was funny to be there and and... and know that Paul McCartney was in an audience with you watching yeah. something. Oh, he was there watching. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it was something Standing Stones or something, wasn't it? The No, Standing Stone was to do a Standing Stone. No, that was just a that different... That was a separate That thing. was an orchestral thing as well, though, wasn't it? Yeah. I yeah. quite like Standing Stone. Um, yeah, I'd like to... It would be, it's interesting to think what a version with Martin string or any kind of accompaniment um, and maybe the, the, the lad's vocals would have sounded like. 
but we can hear what eventually comes of it in his solo album. Um, but I would have liked to have heard the Beatles version, and I, I like, I love the um, the real version very much too, and it's very much of it is you, it's, it's, you can de- derive from this this first take, this first kind of demo. Yeah, it doesn't go much further. I mean, a lot of the the, the majority of the content is there in this yeah, demo version, it, yeah. isn't it? Really? Yeah. Other than he layers up those vocal, it re- he does really stick with it. those things that I'm thinking. Oh, is that him? Kind of going. Maybe strings could go do 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 do. But it actually, is vocals doing that in in his finished version, isn't it? He just yeah, has yeah. he has them chorus vocals with Linda, I think. Um, but yeah, I like also like I like hearing things like him trying to come in on a harmony that doesn't quite work and him sliding it down. You know, he's kind of it makes me feel connected to. These kind of recordings make me feel that even though he's this big genius that you know you look up to, and quite rightly, but as a songwriter, that it's great to hear even Paul McCartney sometimes just has to open his mouth and see if the thing that comes out sounds good. Yeah, and I go, think that's oh, why. Yeah. The, yeah, that's why the Isha demos are such an interesting yeah collection for them to have done a sustained job of getting together and doing those sorts of things. Yeah, it's a good process. I really like the idea, the way that they did that, and it's left us with a good legacy of, of, of how these things are put together. Yeah, but there's so, there's so much potential carried in this song. I love the chord and the finger-picking pattern. I love the descending root note way that it goes, you know, how, how he's, he's, he's shaping those chords, and the soft melody, and the melody in general. So I'm going to give it 78 for music. Mm-hmm. So production, we, we, we've covered a bit of it because I, I was going to ask, is this just Paul? I thought it was. I could hear it's definitely got an overdub in it. I wasn't sure if any, you know, are all the Escher, um demos just, Isha, sorry, demos Isha, just yeah. um, just individuals. They're, they're never working together on them all. I think they're mainly just the individuals overdubbing with themselves, yeah. but you can hear different things on different ones where, I mean, you can hear a lot of noise in the background, a lot of joining in okay. for many of them, but this is just, um, this is just Paul and Paul. Yeah, it just confused me because he seems to be cracking up when he first comes in on the, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's having a laugh, isn't he, when he first comes in doing the vocal, like someone's done something in the room and it's made him laugh or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wondered if John was, there or something but um oh they, they would have been yeah they're yeah. all all around so yeah so we have two 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 times two paul don't we two vocals yeah. two guitars and it actually isn't very badly recorded for a four four track reel to reel with a microphone pointing at him is it or, or two no uh the way they've mixed they've mixed it differently on the isha demo release on the white album box set okay so they've, they've made it more separate they've panned it harder so you can hear the the different channels a bit clearer right. whereas this is sort of mixed in the center so it all sort of merges and blends a little bit more yeah just part of the curious differences between the yeah. way these things turn up it is what it is so it can only hit a kind of maximum thing because it's as he moves to and from the microphone trying things out you know it's it's not a, it's not a take for intended for release so i'm going to give it a kind of a you know 45 middling for production because it's it's in as a as an artifact it's it's interesting um but it's not a take as no, such, I would it? have thought I've I had it I was anticipating mm. you saying production is not applicable here because there's mm. no production involved. No, no, I, it, it's got a well, well. No, I haven't, <laughs> and I'm not going to change my mind. No, I suppose I just, by the time it gets on the anthology, it's been produced by George Martin. Yeah, and yeah, that's the thing. Even though it's the, it, this is an important to hear it like this isn't it so it's got something intrinsic to it about about its its production i think um 
considering we've had ones like George's one from a few episodes ago where it's a similar idea. They're just demoing and kind of doing the hard day's night here. They've come on a bit from even just being able, the way that they can do that has, in, has got better. Because this is it's pretty, it sounds pretty good for something that's just quickly being done in George's house, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it sounds good. It doesn't sound grainy or rubbish. You know, it's good. Lyrics then. I, you said something about the lyrics. You said that you wondered if maybe the lyrics would be the problem for why it didn't get on the white. Well, why would you say that? Why would you say that, Paul? Just because I don't think it necessarily goes anywhere. It just paints a little picture. Yeah. It's. I mean, I like them. I like them, but I just don't feel it's even given the sorts of things that end up on the white album, which we know is quite eclectic. Yeah. Somehow it just doesn't quite go anywhere. I love the imagery. I love the the wistfulness the mm. the dust you can you can smell the dust yeah. on the on the air and on the objects in the song yeah um and in fact he does talk so this is one of the songs that it, the lyrics in the lyrics book that's come out mm-hmm. and he does talk about it being inspired by the setting for steptoe and son yeah which for anyone who doesn't know what steptoe and son is it was a uh, in america it was remade as sanford and son and it's about yeah. a father and son who run a a uh, well, they're rag and bone men, yeah. so they've got this junkyard essentially, and of course the the dad in it was played by Wilfred Bramble, who played Paul's grandfather in A Hard Day's Night. Yeah. So yeah, McCartney confirms that that show, the vibe of that setting, inspires yeah. this. Yeah. But you know, it's uh, I mean, <laughs> the funny thing is, he then goes on to say, "Is oh, actually, it's a song. You know, it's a song about the lasting value of objects. About how in the '60s we crossed the line from." from needing something to wanting something, yeah. which imbibe, imbibes, imbues this song with a, a great deal of sort of philosophical weight that I'm not entirely sure it really has. I, I just it, like the sort of I don't tear in the eye, yeah. sort of wistfulness of it. I don't think it needed more weight than what it carries without that extra layer. I, I love it, these words. Um, I think it's so evocative, just the same as you've said about the, what, it, what it conjures to mind, because it pretty much tells you that. It, it's there's such a lovely flow to the to it, like the line motor cars, handlebars, bicycle for two. It's just it's very poetic. He is a poet, and this is one of his more poetic songs. Broken hearted jubilee. What a lovely line. And then yeah, for me it's that um it's like a slow sweeping camera pan across a junkyard sail sail infused with memory and life, you know, just yeah. resting upon objects and saying you know someone had this it's like it's like going somewhere it's like what you do if you go to an antique center or something that's more 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 thrift maybe you're looking at things going this was someone's this was something it's like we have a chest of drawers downstairs an old antique chest of drawers it's randomly got a black and white picture of a couple in it that was in it when my wife bought it and we just keep it there because it's like we don't know who they were but it's got a it's just got something. It's got. It's infused with a memory. Um, you creepy weirdos. <laughs> no, you, it's not like that. And they move position every night in yeah. the photograph. It's different two people every time we look. <laughs> and one day it'll be you two. Yeah, and then someone else. Yeah, gosh. Um, <laughs> that's just made something that I thought was really nice and charming into something creepy and scary. <laughs> but um, basically, I, I think these lyrics are great. Um, and I'm going to give them 85 because I will say I, I I love the the buy buy. So imagine buy as b b u y. Yeah. So buy buy says bye. the sign in the shop window. Buy buy, b y e. Yeah. Says the junk in the shop. 
Yeah. I like that sort of, if that's what he intended, I love that little play. It's, um, one, didn't he say why, why as well? At some point, why, why says the junkie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of, you know, gives it a, or the double meaning of by you know sound alike anyway if it's not the yeah. exactly what I said anyway yeah but, you can yeah. choose which one it is to the ear can't you homonym homonym so the um, if anything it, it puts me more in mind slightly of Sergeant Peppery lyrics because you know Paul's songs on Sergeant Pepper are a bit more kitchen sink so but it's not quite but you're right writing that isn't quite that either so it is a, a bit of an oddity I don't know if it would have fitted on there, but it's great. It's a great song. I'm giving it 85 for lyrics, which gives it 69.3 overall. Okay. Next, Not Guilty. Not Guilty for Looking like a freak Making friends with every seek Not Guilty Not guilty, Paul. Well, you have to be tried by a group of your peers in order to ascertain that. Other Beatles podcasters. Yeah, mainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's enough of them now. Um, yeah, not guilty. So a George Harrison number. It's recorded mm-hmm. on the 8th, 9th and 12th of August 1968. This version, obviously, Anthology 3, and it becomes an actual George song in 1979. Mm. In a fairly different sort of feel arrangements so years years later and what we've got on anthology three is take 102 of a song that they didn't release wow 102 yeah jeepers so i think that's like 99 odd actual attempts at it and then a couple of edit pieces taking the number up to 102 okay so yeah, they demo this at, at Isha, but this version is the sort of the band version of yeah. it, Take One O Two, and it's yeah, you've got John on um, electric piano. He starts out on electric piano, but then he shifts to harpsichord. So for the for the first forty six takes, this had an electric piano sound, and then moves to harpsichord, oh, okay. which right. is what we get here. Yeah, Paul's on bass. George is doing his lead, his little sort of quite high pitched lead vocal, sort of almost yeah. falsettoy. And the guitars, which are quite good, riffy, yeah. rocky guitars, and Ringo's on the drums, obviously. Yeah. So it's a band recording that doesn't make it. It just doesn't make it. just doesn't get that last little push. And I think we'll probably investigate why now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's worth keeping in mind mm. that the version on Anthology 3 has been edited. So there's things that have been chopped out of it, a few little right. sections here and there. I thought there might be, and I was going to ask you about that, but yeah. Because um, you can hear some hard edits, I think, in there. Yeah. Like a verse has been chopped off, I think, somewhere. Um, yeah, so starting on the music there, it, it sounds like, I, well, you've just confirmed that they did so much on it on it for it to get passed over that they were obviously fond enough of it to get that far to what is pretty yeah. much a finished version, other than, as we'll talk about, some little bits. It's... It's by compared to what we've just listened to, you know, we, um, talked about with junk. This is a fully fledged produced piece of music, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and musically, there's loads going on. There, there's a great overall snarly feel about it, which a lot of it's coming from the bass and the stabby guitars and Ringo's backbeat. 
with his little snare fills as a real attack to it with a cool swing it's kind of cool I can't quite put my finger on what it is um, genre wise but yeah it is quite it's quite funky's not the word yeah, it's got a groove a gonna, real groove you want to say bluesy but it's definitely not working in the blues mode kind of thing yeah but it's got it's got a, an attitude about it <laughs> yeah think. definitely I'd say um, that you'll also hear echoes of in things like um, while my guitar gently weeps and stuff just uh, George was able to snarl a bit when he wanted to wasn't he with his music and like sometimes literally with his lyrics but yeah it's got it's got a strange feel um, but you, I guess you can't call it anything but a Harrison song it has got Harrison all over it and that's yeah and maybe a bit like Junk maybe the fact that it was just so George was there was just all it's yeah. It's very guitar-y for George, which seems a strange thing to say for for the guitarist. the lead guitarist yeah. in a in a band. Yeah. But it is very guitar-y, of like it's got a riff, yeah. you know, a rock riff, and yeah. then a really interesting set of guitar sort of interjections throughout it. Yeah, some really good ones, really head, yeah. like proper rock rock as well, isn't it? In those, yeah, in and those it's parts. George doing it rather than bringing in Eric. Yeah, and the the outro goes full on, kind of rock doesn't it like mm. um they just get into a groove um and it has a feel of a bit of um but they they were capable of doing that so that doesn't sound too out of order with them if you think about like come together when the groove settles in the outro to this is a bit like that um i think the only thing that i think really needed tightening is is george's vocals in some places but because falsetto melody in some places makes it hard there's a bit of a section change where he goes to the falsetto and it's a very unusual chord change and there's something about it hasn't quite... I don't know, I don't think he's got it wrong, but I think it might be a production thing, but or it sounds a little unsure when he goes into his falsetto in the in the, in the the bridgey sections. But I'm sure they could have worked that out for the sake of like one more take or something. Um, but... Yeah, so it's nothing major. I, yeah, I think it's really good. I can't, from a musical side, think what the problem was really. I think the problem is when they try and do the they switch to the three time for no reason whatsoever. Don't you like that bit? I thought that was no, nice I don't bit. like it at all. Don't you? Oh. It sounds like they try. He suddenly sort of remembered that they made being for the benefit of Mister Kite, and he suddenly goes, "Oh, we'll do that." Mm, cha cha, mm, cha cha. It's like, well, where's that come from? You don't need it. But they could have just cut it out if that was the problem, because it's already well. Longer. Tellingly, of course, on the final version in, that comes out on the George Harrison album in '79, yeah, he doesn't do any of that rubbish. Ah, uh, so you think they were trying to like let's throw something in to show that we we let's clever it up a bit. Yeah, and yeah. it makes it <laughs> complicates it or makes it flabby. Oh, I didn't. That didn't actually occur to me. I just took that as a oh they've done something slightly different with the break there to keep it interesting, but doesn't. But, well, I will say as well, the version, again, the version on the um, the White Album box set is the fuller version without the edits. Right. And it's even clunkier on the changes and the different sections, Yeah, I think. So okay. it would have taken some s- smart editing beyond perhaps what they were willing to spend time doing right. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, after 103, they have to kind of call it a day on it and go, look, this is... It's, it, I, I really like it, and I'm going to give it 85 for music. Goodness me. Well, I just think it's like it's very, very close to being something that would quite happily have sat on the um, 
on the white album. But I think the outro. Yeah, well, I think it was in contention for a long time, yeah. and then it just gets left off at the end. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure lots of people would prefer this to Piggies. Yeah, but well, I think you'd lose Piggies then, and that would be a terrible thing. But with with that weird kind of animal theme to some one of the sides of the white album, it, yeah, yeah, Piggies does have a weird kind of place amongst it all, the menagerie side. Okay, on to production then. So we said this is basically a fully fledged and produced track, more or less, isn't it? It's just, yeah. except that this is a mix. What might be kind of making me feel that it was more ready than it perhaps was is that they've done a mix for the anthology, cutting bits out and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I love that. It's like a backwards guitar reverb thing. That yeah, it's it sounds to me like the reverb is is backwards on the start of how the guitar solo comes in. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- there was a mix of this done for that proposed 1984 Sessions record yeah. that ended up being vetoed by the Beatles. Uh, and I don't know how much this one is lifted out of that, but uh, yeah, that stuff is really interesting. The guitar sound on this is, is fab. Yeah. And, the, and, and apparently a... it is um, his guitar at one end of like the echo chambers in Abbey Road. Right. And a microphone at the far end. So there's a delay. Yeah. So he's playing, he's up in the studio control room playing it with a a line run down to these so they can have a really distant mic okay. to get a really interesting guitar sound it's, it is i think that the production of the guitars is fantastic and and occasionally there's like a heavy phase over the whole mix or yeah. large sections of the mix at least it sounds like the whole they just occasionally uh, something's getting phased isn't it and it's not just one instrument mm. um but it only happens now and again but i think it happens neatly in the right place um, and I like it when they get to kind of the close-up miking of George during the um, outro and he's doing little vocal percussive sounds. Yeah, so apparently he recorded his vocal in the um, control room as well yeah. with the speakers playing the backing track, so he didn't have headphones on. So he's, he wanted to feel like he was singing it live. He wanted that over... That so he'd have been close to the mic, but with the yeah. speakers playing as well. Okay. Which not you know would be a big no no to most yeah, engineers. Yeah. There'd be no row. You've got to be as separate from everything as you possibly can be. Can't possibly have spill, which is for good reason, you know. Um, but like we talked about, there are some heavy edits that sound a little extreme, and that now makes sense because it's the anthology version. It, they just cut, cut off a, a section or two. Um, how much difference is it really? How much has been removed? Uh, well, they've they've cut off like. One line of the second verse and and another guitar solo or some linking guitar parts, mm. things like that. Um, yeah, but I think this is the tightest version of that version of the song you're yeah. going to get. So I, again, I mean, you're probably going to go up at this, but I, I think it it would have been one of the. I mean, the sounds of the guitars and and everything are fantastic. It's Abbey Road level kind of um, sounds. I think they're getting out of the guitars um, and as, a, as an ensemble. So I'm going to give it 83 for production. Oh, it's doing well, not guilty. It is doing well. Um, it's in my, this might not be its better section, which is the lyrics. Mm. Well, this could be another reason it was left off the yeah. album. I mean, they waver between potentially great, but then also slightly baffling. Because the not guilty kind of foil is a great premise, great set of words, you know, you, you can jump off there all over the place. But I'm not entirely sure what he's not guilty of. Um, 
I'm not sure. Getting in your way while you try and steal the day sounds like a bit of a personal vindictive vindictive type of like, you know, you you, yeah. you know, you got one over me and I didn't but then not trying to steal your vest <laughs> sounds yeah, well, daft. Like he needs to rhyme something. <laughs> and uh and that suddenly kind of takes any venom out of that line. Unless, well, it's to do with money, isn't it? You know, it's well, it kind of if, is. George, it's almost always about money. Yeah, or he always ends up sounding like that. I don't know if that's what he's always in, if he's always intending that or not. But um, because yeah, okay, signing me or a writ when I'm trying to do my bit that could be like legal wranglings. Yeah, but looking like a freak, making friends with every Sikh sounds like someone's just like he's being unapologetic about himself and his style. Well, so think about when again. this is this is written and recorded after they've been in India and after they've come away going, oh, the Maharishi has possibly been not quite as yeah. um, spiritual as we thought he was. Yeah. You know, he's a bit more interested in worldly things, mm. the pleasures of the flesh. And, you know, John, I think, particularly being feeling a bit betrayed by the whole experience. And mm. George basically saying, well, it's not my fault. I didn't know it. You know, I'm not guilty of this. Okay. So he's, I think George basically summed it up as saying it addresses Paul, John, Apple, Rishikesh, Indian friends, etc. Right. So he really you know, was just talking about all that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit, snarky is not the word. It's a bit like, you can't lay this at my door, mate. You yeah. Know, I'm not the one who wanted to start Apple and get thousands of cassettes through the door every day you know it's a strange one it's it's not it's not very cheery (laughs) no but it does have a nice nod to nelly the elephant in it which is always nice oh the road to mandalay yeah yeah which is also there's also a little bit of george's not always leaning a bit on slightly with the vest and the road to mandalay stuff just being a bit like because it kind of fits but it doesn't fit cleverly enough even it's easy to not easy that's not the right word <laughs> it seems easy for paul and john i think to put something in that doesn't necessarily mean anything but they make it sound like it does but sometimes mm. some lines when they are just filler uh, a bit like that's just because it slightly rhymes and doesn't really mean, mean anything it's a mixed bag needed work i'd say but still interesting so i'm going to give it 55 which gives it an overall of 74.3 mm. next What's the new Mary Jane? What a shame Mary Jane had a band at the party. What a shame Mary Jane, what a shame Mary Jane had a band at the party all together now. What a shame Mary Jane had a band at the party. What a shame, what, what a shame Mary Jane had a band at the party. What's the new Mary Jane, Paul? You can't stick another name at the end of that title of a song. It makes it even more peculiar than it already is. Mm. This was a legendary one, I think, for a long time as uh, one of the standout weird bootlegs that used to do the rounds. Yeah. I remember when I first heard this on that bootleg cassette I've mentioned a couple of times in these episodes. Mm. This is one of them. It's like, what? This was a thing? Yeah. This was The Beatles? And it kind of is in the sense that it's it's John on piano and voice, George on guitars, and then you've also got Yoko there doing sort of sound and vocal effects and Mal Evans chiming in with some percussion and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so there's no Ringo, there's no Paul. 
Yeah. It's recorded on the 14th of August, 1968. Uh, comes out, obviously, on this Anthology 3 thing. Turns up in the White Album box set because they do an Isha demo of it. Yeah. So it's not like it was unknown to everyone. They'd heard that this, you know, it was a, it was a John song he'd written. Mm-hmm. And this version on uh, Anthology 3 is like 6 minutes and 12 seconds. It's take four. Mm. And it is... Where there's funny John and yeah. mantra John, which turns into, you know my name, look up the number, mm. then there's this, which is... I can't call it funny John. It's The lyrics are funny in their own sort of way, or they're strange, they're peculiar. Yeah. It's an interesting set of images and things, but it's such a strange piece yeah. that it's hard to know what to say about it. Yeah, well... I'll start by saying that I've always disliked this one. But you can—you never know what a close re-listen can do. Um, and I'm pleased to say it has opened my ears up to the kind of four minutes of audio montage that I actually quite like, I realise. I don't know if I ever got past the first few times around of what, of the, the chorus and such before giving yes, up on it's, it. It's, it's, it's a song in two parts, this version anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you've basically got the song, then you've got the freak out bit at the end. Yeah. Which is very much using the studio as an instrument type thing. Yeah. Effects and space and, and weirdness. I just hate the melody of the quote marks chorus, especially. It's kind of like anti-music, and I don't know if it, he's doing it on purpose. I mean, I guess he is doing it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like Picasso. So John's kind of saying, look, I can do this because you know I can write really, really good stuff. So this is me when I'm just going, I don't care. Listen, this is a discordant, grating, intentionally annoying, chaotic, irritating. And so I, I kind of think that's what he's trying to do. He's not sitting there thinking, people will love this. He can't be. He can't be. He's doing it because it's like... I'm experimenting. I'm, I'm I'm able to do this because you know I can do it properly. But uh, you know, depending on your attitude to those kind of things, that can either turn you on or or turn you off. It I think it turns me off. At least the musical part of it does. The first two minutes of it, I could well do without. Um, I just I just find it. It just annoys me. It just goes. It just grates on me. But after the music stops as such, and we have the free form soundscapey edging into the Revolution 9 territory, kind of piano yeah. bits that are kind of improvised and loose, although sometimes sounds like they're returning to old motifs. I'm sure I Am the Walrus creeps in there at some point. Mm. Um, he starts playing the, the kind of outro to I Am the Walrus on the piano just for like a few bars. That's kind of good because it's in, that is interesting and experimental in a way that's not just what happens if I play a song that's a bit annoying and discordant. Yeah, so... I don't know what else to say about it from a musical point of view. It's, I don't think it's got much merit to the music. I think the production has no. some interesting stuff. I mean, George plays guitars. John plays very primitive piano. And that's about it in terms of the musical yeah. content. And there's that. Other than saying, is it music concrete? Which has its own, you know, way of being judged. Yeah. I'm going to give it 40 for music. Right. Still better than 12-bar original. <laughs> yeah well uh, yeah it's uh, it's more interesting certainly yeah it's, it's 
I, 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 I'm, I'm glad I'm listening back to it because I didn't. I don't think I really ever got to the four minute sound montage. Um, I, well, whatever it is, which which we'll talk about um, now in production. Um, I mean, they seem to have spent a lot of time. I don't know if that's because there's so much effect on it afterwards, and they, they just spent a lot of time at the desk. But when it does go into those four minutes, it's not like Revolution Nine with a great big tapestry of stuff. There's it's more random sounds happening and things being clanged or banged and there's not really yeah. tape loops or stuff but there's a lot of effect no. going it's on it's a one session song right okay. you know it's and i think this has been produced again for the anthology three right in that you could you could produce this in much more aggressive ways right uh, i think that anthology three has just treated it in a sort of make it more spacey and ethereal I think they've done a lot of that stuff um, to the kind of no, it's it's. I mean, I've listened to a couple of bootlegs of of other mixes, and it's not far off. But this is a bit. I think this is a bit more um, compelling in terms of its use of space and yeah. tape echo and panning than some of the other versions I've heard. Because what if it's like a one session thing? But there's some overdubs, isn't there? Because there's things like the sound of sellotape being pulled. Or just tape if you don't want to use a brand name. Sticky tape being pulled from its from its double sided sticky tape. Yeah, and there's one then there's like, oh now let's hit a tambourine. I do have a slight image in my head of them running around the studio going, Oh, what happens if I wobble a cup? Oh, what happens well, if I, think I it is tickle that. this it's, monkey? It's, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not of go away and find stuff from the sound archives. It's literally what's over there. Yeah. Grab a tambourine, Mal. Yeah, and then we'll put something on, see if what yeah. So it's not got it's not as purposeful. It's not it's not in Revolution Nine territory. It's it's not as layered with loops for a start. It doesn't feel as as purposeful. Um, but it sounds fun and unlike using the the, the Picasso metaphor again, uh, or um, metaphor is not the right word, but whatever. It, it you know, it's good to hear them blowing off steam in a way and trying stuff because then they know what where their limits lie, what can be done. Um, is there anything on production you, you think is worth pulling out? Not particularly on this one, beyond what we've said, really. I mean, the only thing to take it beyond production is the fact that, you know, this was a strong contender for the album yeah. and again was there until the last minute and then left off it. And John loved it so much he wanted to put it out as a single as being by the Plastic Ono band right? with You Know My Name on the flip side. And and in fact, it had like a. I think I mentioned it when we talked about you know my name. Look up the number. It had a an Apple serial number, Apple one double o two, and was slated for a December nineteen sixty nine release before it got vetoed by by presumably the rest of them in Apple. Yeah. And so, yeah, this could have been a single put out by John, and goodness knows how his later years would have been viewed in the context of that coming yeah. out. It is a strange thing. I do think there was people, there were certain people, you know, that that are just so good at what they do. They they sometimes have to go the other way for their own sanity, maybe, or just just I don't know, almost shake that monkey from the back. But anyway, I'm going to give it 65 for production, but for the intrigue that it's got in it, it's still interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's stuff going on. It is interesting, but it's it's uh, you know. Yeah, so that's what it's going for production. So lyrics, I mean, I know you've said they, they're um, they're kind of funny, but I'm not so sure about them. 
they may well be tainted for my natural dislike for the song that I've over the years when I've heard it. I've just, oh God, not this. Um, because like the melody and the chords, they're almost written to kind of put you off to kind of sound wrong in your ears and, yeah. uh, and slightly colonial sounding, but in a maybe bordering on the dodgy way. Possibly, possibly, you, you know, it's, there's a lot of references to, to stuff and it's, it's like not particularly as good a version of bungalow bill, that kind of, yeah, it's, it's, and it also that the actual, what a shame Mary Jane had a pain at the party with that stupid voice. Sounds to me like something, some snotty, horrible bully kids would chant around you whilst wearing pig masks until you pass out. And then you wake up on some sacrificial altar. It's 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 like it's a horrible. Well, the same Mary Jane had it, but it's just all snappy and I don't like the words. No, um, it's well. I mean, you think about John's poetry and stuff like that. This is like the dark side of John's poetry. Yeah. Um, she liked to be married with Yeti. He grooving such cookie for spaghetti. Mm. You know, he like John does a lot of his poetry is about uses the breakdown of the English language to yeah. comic effect. But this is it might be odd. better on the page, I think, as a funny, almost Milligan esque type of child's poem ish. If it had some of the edges rounded off. You can do so much with words. And again, I think this whole song feels like I'm saying, I can make the opposite of good on purpose. You know, I'm, I'm that good. I can do something that I know isn't meant to be as good. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't get much from it. There are some words. I, I mean, I like the bit about the, um, she having all the ways good contacts, she making with Apple and contract. Yeah, that's the only bit that's got a bit of content that I can... Yeah, grab onto the real world creeps in there a little bit. Yeah, but apparently, I mean, there was a a poem by A. A. Milne, the guy who wrote the Winnie the Pooh stories, yeah. called "When We Were Young," rice mm. pudding, which contains the lines: "What is the matter with Mary Jane? She's perfectly well, and she hasn't a pain." So, so okay, he's it's taken... very easy to just go, "Mary Jane is marijuana." Yeah, yeah, which obviously is the the key relationship there to the song. Yeah but also that might have something to do with those little childish sort of things that John might have read at some point. What a shame Mary Jane had a pain. Yeah, at the party. I'm going to give it, I'm still going to give it 50 for lyrics because the words he you're uses... Very, you're very generous today. <laughs> but the words he uses are, are, are interesting. I just don't think they, they are John's level of interesting, which would be up into the high. You know, I do wonder, one thing John did say at one point, is that he half wrote this song with Alex Mardis, Magic Alex. Mm. And it, obviously it's never credited as that. It's a Lennon McCartney number it's credited at. Yeah. But but it's... Um, so I, I wonder what, what uh, Magic Alex's input on this was, whether it was lyrics or or what. I mean, the reference to Mongolian lamb, I think is a, a mention about George had a big coat, which was made of Mongolian fur. Right. So presumably from a lamb at some point, I think. So there's, you so can there's drill down into that in sort there. of stuff. Okay, if you, yeah, but, yeah but, you need to know that kind of stuff, don't you? But she coming from Aldebaran, you know, yeah. is not a real thing. Nobody comes from Aldebaran. It's a star. Uh-huh. It's not out of Bahrain, like it says on the lyrics uh-huh. on the internet. Ignore that. Right. <laughs> Might be what, what I've read then. Um, yes, 50 for lyrics. 51.7 overall. Next... Teddy boy. Ted used to tell her he'd be twice as good, okay, and he knew he could, cause in his head, he said, 
Teddy boy, Paul. Uh, not really. Can't really fit into drainpipe trousers. They don't suit me. No. I don't no. imagine they do. <laughs> no. And the quiffed hair and things like that. Now, Teddy boy. Well, we're back on McCartney territory here, aren't mm. we? So this is... Um, on Anthology 3, we've basically got uh, versions from the 24th and 28th of January 1969 stuck together. Mm. So that's in the get back sessions. So I'm sure we'll hear this in the new film at some point um, from Apple Studios. And clearly this is one that Paul was trying to work up at the time to get people interested in. And what's amazing about this he being here yeah. is obviously it ends up as a song. It ends up on, again, on McCartney, McCartney 1, yeah. McCartney 1970. It would have been on the get back LP that Glyn Johns compiled had they gone with that. Okay but has obviously come out in the new box set as well uh, for Get Back. But, but, but yeah, what the one thing that's interesting about this is you can hear the disinterest from the rest of them mm. in it in terms of they're all playing on this in, or contributing in some way. You know, John is, John is clearly there. Yeah, yeah. If he's not playing an instrument, you know, he's, he's contributing something. Paul's doing his acoustic and vocals the way he always does, lovely little chords, patterns paul's yeah. great voice george is playing some sort of lead guitar mm-hmm. and ringo's doing some drumming yeah you know he's tapping along all the way but john is in there just taking the mick mm. and yeah that's yeah yeah i think they knew it was never going to end up as a song for the beatles because they just couldn't there wasn't enough interest for this you know they could they managed to drag together enough interest to turn maxwell into a song they couldn't do yeah. anything with this and John just starts taking the mickey. and and But at the heart of it, it's just classic McCartney again. Effortless acoustic pattern, yeah. nice chords. Um, yeah, maybe. But it, yeah, it's an interesting one. It doesn't really go anywhere. So it's funny <laughs> how you chose this one straight after what's the new Mary Jane. Because um, I also didn't... My my memory of this is that I don't like this one either. That there's something about it, which is very rare, but I kind of, well, very, very rare, as with anyone who's listened to the first series knows for me, not really to like, in some way, anything, everything they've done, apart from very, very kind of scrappy, ditty bits that, that made their way onto things. But this was one that also, there's something about it that's, that irritates me a little bit, but not quite as much. I, I can hear the song in this a lot better than I can in 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 the last one, um, but actually, I, having had a, a closer listen for this, it's not as annoying as I remember. And I went and listened to the actual McCartney version, and I do think it's just tainted by the fact that he's not really getting a good showing of it on this version. Um, the verses aren't so bad. When they start to develop with George doing some lead and the whistling and Ringo joining in a bit, it almost starts to come together. And the key change, there's kind of a key change in it, which is interesting. And I like the use of the minor chord. It has that signature McCartney ability to turn a song's feel on a on a single change. It's the chorus that annoys me the mostly bit. <laughs> Do, 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 
It, it, it once if, if that goes around more than once, it starts to annoy me. I don't actually well, mind this, it. This is what I've written down. My problem with it is it feels circular, like yes. it's never going to end. Yeah, like you could do like that. Like you get yeah. through it and then suddenly you're back at the start and so you have to go round again. And I'm pretty sure that must be what the rest of them were feeling listening to it as well. Yeah, and they do. Like, they, they go around it like three times round. And again. Yeah. And he's playing it again. Yeah. But the actual verse breaks it up and he feels like they go around it a lot. And actually, when I was listening to it, it's like, I think they kind of do the chorus. They do it like three times round, first time it comes in. Then there's a there's quite a lot of verses before it comes back again and does three times round. And that's it. It doesn't actually repeat as a block that often. It's just that when the block comes round, it does feel like they go one too many and it, it doesn't resolve very well. And every time he says, and he says, and she says, you think, oh God. But um, but yeah, it, it, it comes together a bit better when he actually gets to produce it properly. And um, it has more hope in it than Mary Jane. Um, so I'm going to give it 50 for music. Um, yeah, production. So the version I listened to was the three minute 18 one. Um, and I'm, am I right in thinking that this goes on much longer and there are longer versions again? out there well there's lots of little versions of this you can hear of you know because it's from the get back sessions so um but this like i say the one that the anthology one is two takes stuck together yeah two so okay is it all right um i mean it's an unused couple of takes so again it's not one for production wise we're expecting much from it's fun to hear paul cracking up again he starts to being laugh a bit, again. Being he? a bit daft. Yeah, being a bit Doing daft. Doing a fake laugh cry thing. Um, and there's, But there's a lot of general chitter-chatter going on, isn't there? Mm-hmm. They're not being very respectful in the room, are they, to, to him no. trying to record anything? And we have, I, mean, I should have talked about this in music, really, but we have John, like you said, just fully coming in with like... Take your partner, don't yeah. see doe. And, and although he's t- t- taking the mickey, there is something in what he's doing there He's saying, look, there's another melody that can go over this. He's doing something daft. And it's, I, I don't know if... if well, he's doing a barn dance. He's turning yeah, he's into a, a barn, barn dance. dance. Yeah, I know, but it's not unlike them to play with genre. And kind of, they could have, you know, he might have been trying to go full in on the, well, if we're going to do it, if it's got that feel, let's, I don't know. But anyway, I like the very Octopus's Garden sounding George on it. Because George has got that same sound, hasn't he? Well, not quite. It just sounds like he's fumbling to me. No, but it's the guitar sound, I mean, not really what he's playing, but he's got the... Well, he's, he's got... getting towards it. It's that sort of period, but yeah. yeah. And what Tom, Ringo's doing on the toms. Again, this, they, this, although it's a rough take production-wise, I see it starting to sound like that kind of... You mentioned Maxwell. Abbey Road feel to it, and that if it had have survived, it could have gone through that treatment. And there's a couple of minutes in it where you hear the production potential that it could have got somewhere yeah. with what they but were it's doing. It's clearly that, like you say, there's a lot of background noise. They clearly weren't trying to do a decent take no. of this. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we have 50 for production too. It's just kind of middling, really. Um, yeah, I, I am. I am going to do that. And lyrics, we move on to the lyrics. I think the lyrics are the best bit about it um it's actually a very sweet and grand slash epic story of a kid 
looking after his widowed man, isn't it? I yeah. think. And then running away when she gets with another man. It's almost um, Tommy-esque in its kind of scope. It's classic McCartney kitchen sink. Feels like you could just hand it to Ken Loach and he can make a film out of it. You know, it, it's got a Britishness about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that it's called Teddy Boy, and obviously Teddy Boy makes you think of the well, 1950s, a, well, sort yeah. of gangs, British gangs, but inspired by American things, yeah. like well, the Blackboard Jungle. Mm. But apparently, again, this is in his lyrics book, and the sort of Teddy Boys come from the nickname for Ted Robbins, his, his second cousin. So right. everyone will know Ted Robbins, the comedian actor, Ted Robbins. Uh, but when he was a baby, he was, they called him Teddy. So he sort of nicked the name from that. Okay. And of course, what you've also got is a man who lost his mother when he yeah. was very young. So that's clearly in there as well. I mean, you can always detect with, with Paul that calling back to looking after each other, looking after your family, being looked after, wanting to be looked after, and then mm. sort of the, the sort of the ghost of his mother that's sort of haunting him throughout all this stuff. Mm. Yeah. I think it's because I've not paid it much heed before when you actually sit and listen to it. It's, it's, and because of that minor chord change, you know, literally when he has the line like, and it makes us sad. She talks about a soldier dad and it makes us sad just as he changes to a minor chord. You're like, oh, this. And, and when you hear it realized on McCartney, it's like, yes, I see now what that, what that was about. Um, so yeah, it, it, it doesn't develop much from the premise, but it just, it just touches on the themes as much as it needs to to really get that across so it's it's um covers quite a lot in, in a small amount of time um so i'm gonna give it 70 for lyrics yeah blimey i'm sure lennon wouldn't have done i think he i don't think any of the, the other of the rest of them liked it particularly at all what do you think of the finished mccartney version do, do, do you think it's it it's all right it's, it's i'm not mad keen on it no i must be honest yeah it's not going to be one of my favorites <laughs> i mean but it's um yeah, if, uh, it gets 56 overall, this this version at least. Um, so there we go. So finally, we have All Things Must Pass. Sunrise doesn't last all morning A cloudburst doesn't last all day Seems my love is up and has left you with no warning It's not always been this great All things must pass All things must pass, Paul. Indeed they must, as this little mini-series on the anthology will after we've done this song, really. Yes. And... Yeah, so this is obviously another George song that becomes very, very significant in his career. This mm. version here, that's on Anthology 3, is recorded on the 25th of February 1969, which was George's 26th birthday. Wow. <laughs> so this is a 26-year-old, new 26-year-old writing these songs or demoing yeah. these songs. They'd tried it t together as a band during the Get Back sessions the month before mm. and just didn't get it anywhere. Which is a real shame because there's bits where it, that, those versions, the get back versions, you can start to hear them blocking out the harmonies the way the Beatles would and things like that. But this is just George 
couple of guitars and his voice. Hmm. This is a session where he demos um, Old Brown Shoe and Something and this song. I mean, yeah, what a must... journey as a songwriter from yeah. You Know What To Do. Absolutely. Five years before to this. Yeah. That he can sit in and he can... So he clearly loved this song still, even though the Beatles weren't going to work it up. And he goes in and he does these little demos for two of which become Beatles songs and this, which obviously becomes the big figurehead song for mm. All Things Must Pass in 1970. And this is... The reason I included this one is because it's just an amazing bit of George on his own, mm. just doing something brilliant. It is. It's it's beautiful and near near perfect as a as a take, you know. It, barring I think one tiny bit in the middle where he slightly fluffs a line, the things can last line. He pulls up his vocal slightly. He's like, uh, it's a bit like oh, it's almost a fully intended acoustic version of a song that would be just sit on an album as is. It's such you know, it's such a such a good guitar and vocal performance from him. And as a composition, as good as anything Paul and John ever did. This is George, as with so much of that that period that you've just said, being on yeah, I'm here now, I've arrived, I'm in you know, I'm in the room, I can do this too. Yeah. Uh, and it, I can look you in the eye and rewriting songs that are just as worthy as their place in, in musical um history. I mean what a what a thing to, to to fight to, to know that you could because he didn't start on the same peg with them really but it got there it's great um the fact that it got passed over by them is astonishing really it is I, but then is it to george again is it because they thought you know mm-hmm. this is one yeah, yeah. this is george's this isn't george george's beatles song this is a this is george's george song and the way he sings it and everything isn't beatley it's georgie he doesn't it, it, you hear George Harrison, the person singing this rather than the George Harrison, the Beatle. Yes. Um, I think that's probably fair enough as well. Mm. Despite the fact that he's inspired by his time he spent with the band, you know, mm. Bob Dylan and the band. Yeah. And particularly listening to their album music from big pink and songs like, um, the weight. Mm. Uh, once you get George doing it with his voice, you're yeah. absolutely right. It's, it's George's voice, not a Beatles voice. Absolutely. Uh, Musically, it's it's kind of sweet, yet heart wrenching melody, sitting on this bed of tremolo. Is it tremolo guitar and acoustic guitar chords? I think they're both. I think it's electrics, but you're right. Yeah, it's got the tremolo effect on one of the amps. Yeah, and then the okay, so they're both electric. Oh yeah, it's a clean. Yeah, it's not acoustic. It's a clean electric, isn't it? And then one with a tremolo effect, which is um yeah, which we'll talk about. But yeah, as I say, I do you know what I mean about this? There's one pickup on the vocals that you would do again. I think if you had, if this was, I think it's it's almost. We're talking about production again, really. I'm talking about production a bit. But as 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 a song goes musically, if this had been the only ever version of it, apart from a tiny little bit of cleaning up, it would have still entered the pantheon of classic songs in the world. I think. I, in all honesty, I think I prefer this to the version yeah. that ends up on All Things Must well, yeah. Pass. Yeah, because that's overproduced. Yeah, This is much nicer stripped down to this. So I, musically, um, I'm going to give it 81. Mm-hmm. I think well done, George. I think it's fantastic. Um, it makes me want to cry listening to it. You know, it's one of those songs that just gets yeah, you, no, gets you. I understand. So on to the production then. Um, so we have two guitars. 
the tremolo one, that's the wobbly one for anyone who's not up with the terms, which is um, like an effect on the amp. But at one point you do from turning, almost the same as turning your volume pedal up and up and down very quickly, isn't it? It's a wobble. Well, yeah, it's a yeah, volume wobble. Is a, is a volume effect. Yeah. Um, and the, the clean guitar picking along with it, the two tones of that mesh perfectly. So what? this is him demoing again, is it? Yeah, so he's in the studio. He's yeah. gone into uh, Abbey Road, I think, for this, and he is just, but he's just demoing things. So there's no, there's no official production to this. No, this is just a recording. It's not, it's not being produced. But when you think about something like Blackbird, which is, despite the, the numerous takes, eventually pretty much just pulled on his guitar. Yeah, this is George basically doing the same thing with one, one a guitar put over it, which sounds great. I mean, tremolo guitar can be very tricky to get sounding right of the fact that it's got a bit of a rhythm to it um but he's he's just effortless just sounds perfect um and his voice oh he was a great singer wasn't he and, yeah certainly and unlike i think in not guilty where his falsetto could get lost in the in the bigness of the song because of this closeness of the miking of the way he's singing it i think it really gives him does justice to the way he could he could switch to that voice um I think even just just as something that's just a demo, I think it's a great job. Um, and I, oh yeah, I said exactly the same. I like it much more than the version that would eventually become the the the, the, the titular track from his first solo album. I like that too, but this is much cleaner and more intimate. I think mm-hmm. this is you in a room with John singing you a, or George even going. John. Sorry, John. They all turn into one, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> no, they don't. Um, yeah, this is you in a, you in a room with George listening to him, kind of pour his soul out to you rather than a right time George. I've got my first solo album. I've got blooming Phil Spector here. Let's put a load of stuff over it. So I'm going to give it 78 for production. And on to lyrics. So uh, you can also trust George to hit us with a profound statement. And then back it up with equally emotive music, can't we? Yeah, even if he just takes it from somewhere else, though. Oh, uh, where's he taking this one from? So this is sort of adapted from Timmy Leary's version of of um, verses from the Tao Te Ching, um, in Timmy Leary's psychedelic prayers. Yeah. So sunrise doesn't last all morning, etc. But you know, it's a thing that Lennon did with the Tibetan Book of the Dead before for tomorrow never knows and stuff. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's George looking to his philosophy to uh, to fill the lyrics out for his song. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, nothing's new, really, is it? In 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 the sense that he's not going to invent a complete brand new saying or philosophy to, but to pick it out and say this will make a good thing to to, to base a song around. It's not entirely lifted, is it? Um, I guess he wants to. Take a deep dive, as we'd say in meetings, into all things must pass. Just the concept that 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 notion, isn't it? Which is simultaneously a source of great comfort and fear all at once. Times the great healer, but also it will take us all. Um, he's not going massively in for the time claiming as all side of things, but the the content of these lyrics provokes those thoughts, and therefore it, it suits George's philosophical spiritual outlook, doesn't it? It takes you to bittersweet places, makes you confront mortality for the better and the worse. Um, but mostly the better, I think, is the idea, isn't it, of this one? 
that there is always something there's always transitioning there's always something beyond whatever the thing is now that may not always be the best um and very poignant too that this was being written and presented at a time when something very major was looking like it was going to pass away and it did i'm guessing if we were to take the beatles story itself into in as part of the inspiration do you think mm. yeah very much so i think it's uh it's a good place to end really this little project as well yeah. for us because i think that's that's it that's where the anthologies basically come up to all things must pass yeah that's that's you know conceptually yeah it's 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 about as neat an ending as the end is for the kind of album releases for them isn't it you know mm. um but before we get to that full stop on this bit i need to say the score which was 86 for lyrics because I think they're great lyrics. Great song. Which gives it 81.7 overall. So. That's it. And although it's. We must make it clear. That's it for the anthology. Three episodes. We are going to be back next week. With the first of our next section. Which we'll talk about after I've done the chart. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do the final anthology chart Paul. The, the 15 we've covered. Mm-hmm. In the position, there was a couple of ties, but I've just nudged my preference to to get rid of them. So let's go for it. At number fifteen, you know what to do. At number fourteen, twelve bar original. How do you do it? Is number thirteen. Cry for a shadow at number twelve. In spite of all the danger, at number eleven. At number ten, leave my kitten alone. If you've got trouble, is number nine. What the new Mary Jane is number eight. Teddy boy is number seven. That means a lot is number six. Junk is number five. Not guilty is number four. At number three, all things must pass. Tomorrow never knows, take one. At number two. And at number one, strawberry fields forever. Take one. It's uh, inassailable. It's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's bound to be. Although I, the one that I was most thinking, well, all things must pass, pass <laughs> strawberry fields. But for all of its beautifulness of all things must pass it's it's also convention much more conventional and strawberry field still yeah, is just yeah. even that early version of it is so like nothing like this exists until now <laughs> you know this is the beginning of something existing that music didn't exist like this this is so new it's so different and still yeah. feels like that so there we go um so you know I hope that if you're a casual fan of the Beatles and you haven't really dipped into the anthology, that these last three episodes have really whet your appetite to give it a try. Or if you you have, to maybe revisit it if it's been a while. Um, I've really enjoyed dipping into these very much, having a close look at things. I, I, this is this is the beauty of this podcast for me. I get to, to get taken on a journey. But what happens now, Paul? What comes next? Where do we go from here? Well, first thing I do is I get me three anthology CD box sets and I lay them out next to each other okay. just so I can put together the big picture. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm just doing that just to get that out of the way so you can see Klaus Foreman's like, um, cover designs all running into one another as a big, long, thin poster. Just okay. doing that. No, no one can see that, so no, it's just no, my no, own it pleasure. It's not benefit. great podcasting. But, uh, I can't even see it because we, we, we're not even in the same room. Yeah, well, you know, people have heard me then stacking me CDs back up. Mm. Yeah, so we'll move on from the anthology to uh, something that we hinted at a little bit, I think, in the first episode, and that is 
songs that the Beatles gave away. Mm. So this isn't songs that they released officially themselves and someone else did a version of. So we're not talking no, about not covers Obla Dee Blada by yeah. Marmalade or anything like that. Because obviously there's a, an official Beatles version of that. Yeah. But we're talking about ones that they wrote and ultimately came out under the names of other artists who they gave the songs to. Yes. To varying degrees of success. Mm. You know that's that's an important thing to remember. It's it's we're gonna we're gonna examine what happens when you take Lennon McCartney and a Harrison song out of context of the Beatles mm. and see how it works. Which I'm very much looking forward to because I think some of this is going to be new to me. Some yeah. of it, completely new. So it's going to be very interesting. So that's going to take us over. I think five episodes, isn't it? Because it's quite a lot of them. It might well be, yeah. And it's they are unlike. So you know, um, we haven't been able to cover all of the anthology because a lot of it is versions of what you've heard in the core catalogue. Some of it is going to be stuff that may turn up in these next five episodes, um, and some of it's just talking and very small takes that wouldn't have made sense in this podcasts kind of the way we do stuff but these next five episodes are full fully fledged songs that in you know barring you know a couple of decisions here and there could well have ended up on beatles albums couldn't they or, or yeah so in a lot of cases gonna be very interesting i'm i think and i'm really looking forward to that so that's all being well next week and uh keep an eye on our socials if if, if you know for any changes to schedules but we that's what we're aiming for um hopefully to take us up to kind of christmas time for a bit of a christmas break um before we come back with whatever we do after that which will be yeah. exciting to find out so once again thank you paul that's all right gary and uh thank you everyone for listening i'll just say bye-bye merry beatles merry beatles i don't know what happened there